Welcome to the United We Pledge podcast, a place where we explore the way we can work together in our communities to fulfill our mission of shared responsibility and allegiance to the traditional American values of freedom, family, and faith. This is the place where we accept our duty to be constitutional, law-abiding citizens. You are invited to join us as we meet individuals who are fulfilling and pledging themselves and their resources to this mission. Each week, we will tell the great American story that will inspire you and the next generation to stand united and pledge allegiance to this great nation. Welcome back to the United We Pledge podcast. I'm your host, Colleen Rue, and excited to welcome another guest in today. This is Mark Herr. Mark is a retired U.S. Air Force. What, what was your rank in the Air Force? Oh, I was a senior airman. Used to be a, I was a journeyman mechanic for military aircraft, and I worked at the 5th Air Force headquarters. Oh, amazing. And Mark, you're also the president and co-founder of the Center for Self-Governance, which is a nonprofit, nonpartisan political education and leadership organization. And you work hand in hand with United We Pledge. Tell me about that relationship and where that came from. Well, uh, last year, I got a call from the CEO of Balance of Nature, uh, looking for civics and leadership for his employees. And that's what we do. So we talked about it. We started doing it and just naturally coming together with our leadership program and Balance of Nature's community outreach uh, efforts. uh, United We Pledge was born and here we are. And we have a whole bunch of folks that are just regular citizens who've learned political education and leadership and are just doing amazing things in their community. Yeah. And United We Pledge, of course, we have our Freedom Summits where we bring the youth together with some local leaders and other leaders from government all around the United States to learn how to be leaders. I mean, that's what we want to do is we want to spread that mission so that we are growing great leaders in this country. Absolutely. Yeah. The Freedom Summits with the youth are just fabulous success. Um, Recently had this in St. George, and this is going to start occurring beginning in April across the United States. And by 2026, July 4th, the 250th anniversary will be Freedom Summits all over the nation. It's exciting. It's really an exciting time for us here at United We Pledge and, you know, the Center for Self-Governance doing so much to help us with that and to roll out our mission. And so we're excited to have you here. And we, I really want to dig into the Center for Self-Governance, what that is. Really, what does self-governance mean? This is an interesting word. And I think we should start by defining that. What is self-governance? Um, So Thomas Jefferson wrote a letter to a friend just before he died, and in it he said, the qualification for self-government in society are not innate. They're the result of habit and long training. And so some people think self-governance means I govern myself and you govern yourself and you leave me alone and I'll leave you alone. The problem is, is you and I are going to meet at the stoplight. We're going to meet at the register, the cash register in the store. We're going to pass by each other in the airport. So that means I leave you alone, you leave me alone. This doesn't always work that way. So there's another side to self-governance, and we believe it involves governing yourself. So let me start by saying to your audience, when you think of government, the word government, what's the first image that they see in their mind? A person or a system. And this concept originates with Abigail Adams, who wrote a letter to her husband prior to the declaration in which she said, a government of more stability is much wanted and the colonists are ready to receive them. And she goes back and she crosses it out and she writes in the word it 
from the hands of Congress. So our organization teaches people how to govern themselves, to think of government as a system instead of a person. What we found is the more you govern yourself in this one area, the less conflict you have, you're less divided, and you start finding common ground and looking for things together. And that's what we believe self-governance is at CSG. Oh, I, I love that. And today, you know, you turn on the news and it just seems like there's so there's so much polarity in our nation. And someone says one thing and someone says the complete opposite. And both are seen as truth and put forward as truth. But no one's really <laughs> meeting in the middle. Right. And so what are some of the things, you know, give us, I know this is probably something that I know you teach courses on this that takes hours and hours, but give us some some things that we can do at our dinner tables. For me, I'm a mother with my children. How do we teach these principles so that our kids can go out there and they can understand these conversations that they can have and they can be self-governing and they can be good patriots? Of oh this United gosh. States. Yeah, that's great. You know, uh, parents, parenthood. These are the things that make society tick. Um, so I would start with number one, it's really important for mom and dad for themselves in their conversations that their children are paying attention to is when you are talking about government, do not refer to government as a they or a them. Always refer to government as a system that can be fixed. Because when you refer to government as a they or them in front of them, your young ones start to realize government is a beast, something that they have to kill or hate or be afraid of. But that's not true about our bodies. We shouldn't be afraid of our bodies. We should learn how to fix our bodies. So that's number one. Don't refer to government as a they or them at the dinner table. You know, Mark, I'm just going to interrupt you there because it's so interesting in, in even my own language that I use, I use that all the time where they are making this decision or this decision was made by them. And who is them? Who are they? Who, <laughs> who are they? Is, it's such an ambiguous thing when really it, it's us. We're all part of it. And like you said, it's something that is malleable. It's something that's fixable. It's something that can yes. grow. Right. And you start with your children and their health, right? As a mom, uh, we our number one concern is our their childhood and their upbringing. And so it's, it's important that kids learn systems like their bodies and all of its systems. And then there's other systems, relationships. How do, how do we learn to share? I mean, we, we go through these things on a daily basis in our families. The, the, the problem, the challenge that organization sees is that society doesn't realize that government can be thought of as a system and that the problems we have be- between each other that we learn how to navigate between our siblings is something that we can apply to society as well. So you're you're basically saying that if there is a problem, there is sibling rivalry. One yeah. person wants to go to Olive Garden for dinner. The other one <laughs> exactly. wants to go to Red Lobster Yes, we, we can use this to come together and find solutions and have some understanding. And that will help to perpetrate this self-governance that we that we can use in these bigger systems. Absolutely. It's it's incredibly important to, to know that it starts at a young age. And, 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 and hopefully, as we talk about some historical figures, there, there are some principles that were discovered and added to the United States to, to help enable that. Um, the, the kind of the third thing for kiddos and moms and dads is 
is this idea that familyhood and parenthood somehow are have some kind of uh, 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 low status in society. And it's important that we elevate the status of parenthood again in the United States. Uh, parents are being excluded from school boards and showing up because they care about their children's upbringing. Uh, children are being taught that parents shouldn't have a say uh, in some of their upbringing related to their choices in life. And so this kind of notion that parenthood is some kind of inferior product in society, it's really helpful that we as a society realize to govern ourselves, we need to realize that familyhood, parenthood, fatherhood, motherhood, childhood, grandpahood, grandmahood, there's a big fat hood out there. We need to make the hood real again. So help me understand. <laughs> so you're saying that there there are times and places where children are governed through the decisions that their families make and that their parents make. Um, is that is that what you're saying that there's we we think of this self-government, this autonomy of I get to choose for myself all the time. Is that some of the problem that we're seeing in today's media and today's relationships? Again, I think it goes back to this kind of the, the definition of self-governance might have another component to it. And that is, yes, I want to be left alone. And yes, I want to be free to do my own things, of course. But I also am I'm, I'm on this earth with you, Colleen. And so it's important that I govern myself, too, in order for that relationship to be balanced. So absolutely, I think it goes both ways. Yeah, leave me alone. But at the same time, I need to I need to respect the fact that you and I share the same place, the same earth. I, I, I should govern myself too. It really is a beautiful thing when you think about it. If, if that could be something that we all shared together and could teach our children about, I just, I do. I think of how wonderful that would be and how caring and loving of a society we could create with all of the differences that we have. Absolutely. There's, there's a natural relationship in the family between the child and the mom. You know, there, I notice like that there's, there's these cliches that people say, when mom's not happy, no one's happy. I'm like, yeah, it's a, that's a law of nature, guys. Well, you can't, we can't just violate those laws of nature and expect society to function in a, in a balanced way. In our families, in our sibling rivalries, in our neighborhood uh, communities, across our society. It's just something that's part of the human journey is learning how to balance these things. And I think that's just where the United We Pledge mission comes full force, you know, uniting <laughs> through all of these different ideals. Well, let's jump into some of your favorite historical characters. I want to learn more about this woman that you talk about, Elizabeth Powell, and she's Powell with a single L. When you do a search for her, you don't come up with a whole lot of information. When I saw her name, Mark, I was like, I've not heard of this woman. Why have I not heard of her? Well, because first of all, she is probably the founding mother of the United States of America. I mean, her influence prior to the creation of the United States in 1787 is just off the charts. Um, she established something that is known as the Republican Court. And I don't mean the Republican Party, but she would have these figures that were designing our system of government into her home on a daily, weekly basis, from George Washington to Lafayette to Bushrod Washington and John Dickinson from Delaware. Many of the of the people that are come from history that are integral in creating the United States pass through her home. But she receives little credit in history because, and this is our, our opinion, is that her influence 
uh, in the creation of the United States goes back to the parenthood, the motherhood, the familyhood. And so this Republican court is where she had these figures through her home while she influenced them to create our nation. But we are told that they are the creators. But I, I like to say now, it's really important for you to find out who are the influencers behind the scenes. And Mrs. Elizabeth Powell was a great influencer of all of those historical figures that we are used to. The second thing she established was the Republican motherhood. Uh, and again, not the party, but this idea of creating a republic, a society where you educated children, both boys and girls, so that both learned society's structure of government, that government is a system and not a person, that the maintenance of things like the body and relationships, it, it also applies to politics. So she brought these two amazing ideas to the 18th century, particularly to the United States. She was instrumental in creating the United States. She was instrumental in, and especially in keeping the United States after it was created in 1787. I could go on for hours upon hours. So so I'm just going to stop the spigot and let you ask a question. No, I think it's great. You know, one thing that I'm just kind of I love to hear is about these strong women from our history. A lot of times we hear about the founding fathers and we, you know, we don't hear about these women who, like you said, were very influential. Maybe they didn't sit in the same circles as the men did when they were signing documents and things like that, but they were the people who were very influential behind the scenes. And so anytime we can bring some of these women forward, I think it's a great day. Oh, it's 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 phenomenal for the 21st century because she in history is referred to as the woman. I believe she should be referred to as capital T-H-E founding mother. And the reason I say that is not only because she created the Republican motherhood about both educating boys and girls regarding societal responsibilities. And I don't mean cooking in the kitchen. I mean, influencing the direction of society. Well, and that was not on par for that time either. That's what we have to realize is people weren't doing that. They weren't providing that education to women, especially to young girls, especially. They weren't receiving that kind of education. No, and and, and so Elizabeth was definitely, her mother was very well educated. And so she was edu homeschooled by her mother. Um, all of her, all of her father, grandfather, brothers, uncles were mayors of Philadelphia, all the way going back to William Penn at the very beginning uh, of the creation of Philadelphia. Her husband was the last British mayor of Philadelphia and the first U.S. mayor of Philadelphia, the conclusion of the revolution. But Lafayette said in his books about her, she was the foremost political thinker that he had ever met in the entire United. Now that was huge for a French guy because they were really kind of uh, womanizer, so to speak at the time, uh, but his respect, their respect for her, the, 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 the foremost politicians that we know of in history, like George Washington had deep respect for Elizabeth Powell to the point that she influenced him not to resign early in his first term of office in 1792. She also directly influenced him to run for a second term of office in 1793. That was a lot of power for someone who couldn't vote or run for office 
in that time frame. And so I can understand why she's referred to the woman rather than the founding mother, because it kind of flies in the face of the current narrative that the United States is a racist system or the United States is just a white male patriarchy system. This woman was incredibly powerful and influential in the creation of the U.S., the, and the keeping of the United States after its creation in 1787. Uh, so I'm, I'm proud uh, uh, to, to have discovered Mrs. Powell, named my daughter after her. My wife and I were engaged at her home in Philadelphia on Chestnut Street. And um, I'm hoping that uh, the American Village of the West will, will be uh, put on the forefront of their plans to rebuild Mrs. Powell's house and introduce the young women of the 21st century to her. Yeah, that's it's so important to hear the stories of these women because we just don't have them. I mean, I'm sitting here as a 43-year-old woman who I feel like I'm fairly well-educated, and this is the first time I've ever heard about this woman. Why is that? Why Why do you think that is? Well, not, you know, it's, it's, it's a deep, that's a deep dive, but as simple as I can make it is, well, after the beginning of the 20th century, in early 1900s, um, a gentleman named Charles Merriam surfaced, a political scientist out of the University of Chicago. And it was his belief that the system that Mrs. Powell inherited was antiquated and inefficient for the 20th and 21st century. So he concocted uh, a plan to modify Mrs. Powell's Republic, the one that Ben Franklin told her to keep. <laughs> okay. And he instituted several different um, stratagems for converting the United States from that system that she inherited in 1787 into a new 20th, 21st century that he designed. And so she flies in the face of that effort. And so history, this is our organization's opinion, uh, but based on our understanding of things that she is counterintuitive because she couldn't vote, she couldn't run for office. So she's not necessarily a victim. She was a powerful behind the scenes figure, which, which comes to this other uh, point, Colleen, which is, I don't have to be elected in the United States to be influential. I don't have to be President Biden or President Trump or President Lincoln. Maybe maybe they'll be remembered in world history. Maybe I won't. But I can have an influence that is profound and monumental like Mrs. Powell. Uh, and, and I love to teach CSG students about her to inspire them to make those choices for their life in the 21st century. And it is inspiring to see that we can do so much. You know, one message that I always give to my children is that it doesn't matter who sits in the White House. What matters is who sits in our house and how we govern ourselves and right. how our community is handled, because there is so much power in community that wow. we can make our communities. And I, I think that's what we're losing these days. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like we're, we're losing that community, our small communities, our neighborhoods, where we do have the power to make big differences. You know, um, I, I wrote a book called Speaking the Language of Liberty, and my hypothesis is that I think the starting point for growing liberty is asking yourself, and this is a question I ask myself, not for you, but for myself, do I love your liberty 
as much as my own. And the starting point for governing myself, again, coming back to the beginning, is if I love your liberty as much as my own, I'll do everything in my human journey and power to empower you to enjoy and experience the influence of Mrs. Powell in the 21st century and beyond. Yeah, I'm going back and remembering, I, w- I was a political science student in college, and I just remember learning about constitutional law and things like that and reading up on all the old court cases. And I had a an experience with a professor who, you know, we were talking about rights and civil rights and things like that and how, you know, your rights end where my rights begin type of a conversation. But I love how you're taking that narrative and you're changing it to be, if I love my liberty, I need to love your liberty just as much because it's just, just as, as much, just as much, because um, that's what's important when we come to liberty is your liberty and mine. Yes. And, 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 and in the book, um, we differentiate between freedom and liberty. Um, I believe that you know, everybody wants freedom. Your kids want freedom. They want to be as chaotic as possible for as long as possible, as late as possible. Am I right? Absolutely. Okay. Right. Okay. So, so there comes mom, the tyrant, right? She's, she's now King Georgina from the 17, 1700s saying no. And okay. No, there's, there's the unconfined freedom has a consequence and so does oppressive confined freedom. They both have a, a, an unbalanced result. And normally it results in like divorce or kids leave home early, commit suicide. There's all these negative consequences. You can think of whatever consequence you want. But when two human beings or more are in a relationship where they love each other's liberty as much as their own, the balance between those two freedoms, those two competing freedoms, uh, results in a what I call the fruit of liberty. It's long term. It's and, and and part of the relationships that we build, we we do so that are short term. We have these short term beneficial relationships, but it's not how it works between you and your child, right, Colleen? When they graduate, your parental rights might end at eighteen, but will your parenthood ever end? And it never does. You're, it a pa- you're a parent until you leave this earth and beyond. I mean, you will always be a parent. So love their, you will love their liberty as much as your own because you're their mom. What's really hard is our, our neighbors in our communities loving their liberty as much as their own because the connection is not as deep. I mean, the child, that child that came from you, that's like, I don't know how closer you can get. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but in terms of community, how we develop those relationships absolutely 100% matter. And Mrs. Powell was a great pattern of building a selfless relationship to keep our republic so that liberty could be enjoyed by others across the United States. And, you know, she was this woman who who brought people together and allowed that to happen. And we can do the same things in our neighborhoods, in our communities. It may be as simple as getting our neighbors together for a night of ice cream or something like that. Think of the power in that relationship. And you're so right, Mark, where you're saying, 
that these relationships, if we allow them to go a little bit deeper and we get off of Facebook, we get off of Instagram, <laughs> we get from behind the computer and from the keyboard, because when I actually sit down with someone who I have a disagreement with, I'm not going to throw that vitriol back at them if I'm face to face with them. Absolutely. You know, and I'll give you a practical case in point. Last night I was on my way. I, I flew back from South Carolina and I was coming back home. And I had to meet my wife at a town hall meeting that we were having where we at. And along the way, I just thought I'm going to there's this family that I know. And I just pulled in out of the blue. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying I and I was like, oh, man, Americans don't do this anymore. But you know what? I'm going to do it. So I just pulled in. I walked up. Nobody answered. And I was like, "Uh oh, and I went over to this other building and the, the person working in and they called and he was taking a nap. So I woke him up from his nap, but he came over and we spent an hour and a half together. At the end, we just shook hands. We hugged. And I told him, I, I just told this gentleman, I said, I said to, uh, to him, Craig said, I, I really appreciate you and your family, what you do for this community. And, and, and I'm sorry, I barged in. He said, no, 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 no. Anytime, anytime. Imagine, just imagine just taking the risk. You know, there's more benefit if you maintain and garden the relationships in your family, in your community, across your state, in a nation, than it is when you don't take the risk. So it's worth the risk. Mrs. Powell took the risk in the 21st century. My organization want to train, we want to train leaders who are willing to take that kind of risk. And if we take that risk, the fruits of those labors and those risks will be great. And they, Absolutely. Will, they will show in this government that we have that is something we can grow into something that really can preserve liberty for all and that's Absolutely. what we're here for and that's united we pledge and what you're doing with the center for self-governance and what united we pledge is doing these missions coming together let's get out there let's get in our communities you know we ask people all the time mark to to pledge what do you pledge to your community. And I'm going to I'm going to turn that right to you Mark. You know, what are you pledging today to make your community better? This this idea of pledging to each other uh, got written down in the Declaration of Independence, the very last sentence. We mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes and our sacred honor. And so what am I doing? I'm pledging myself to you, to your family, to the state of Utah, to the other 49 states, uh, to, to anyone to, to love your liberty as much as my own. Beautiful, Mark. Beautiful. Thank you so much for all that you're doing. We'll, we're excited to talk to you again and, and continue with all your work here with, with CSG and with United We Pledge. Thank you for everything that you've done and thank you for being on our podcast today. Absolutely. Love United We Pledge and you guys uh, keep up the great work. We will. Thanks, Mark. Thank you for listening to the United We Pledge podcast. It's brought to you by Balance of Nature. If you'd like to join us in inspiring freedom, faith, and family here in America, go to unitedwepledge.org. And don't forget to follow us on social media.